So this time on Distinct Nostalgia, we're taking you back to the 1980s and a classic Liverpool-based sitcom from the brilliant Carla Lane. This show pulled in 21 million viewers at its peak and was one of the most watched shows of the week on BBC One. Yes, this time Ashley's been chatting to Graham Bickley, who played the second incarnation of Joey Boswell in Bread. Enjoy. Distinct Nostalgia. More than a podcast. Well, Graham, it's great to talk to you. Now, bread, in its heyday, was huge at one time, wasn't it? It was a, it was one of the biggest sitcoms of its day. Well, it was, yeah. I mean, I think the figures were in the region of 16 to 19 uh, million per week, which is just incredible now. You can't even think of numbers like that now. Um, and for the you know Christmas specials, it got into the 20, 21, 22. No pressure on those of us who were taken over while it was that popular. But yeah, it was of its time. It, it was uh, in another era now. You know, it was the, the three-channel wonder. And uh, um, God, it was very happy days then. It seems a lot more complicated now. So, and it used to go out on a Sunday night, didn't it, if I remember rightly? Wasn't it always a Sunday night, Brett? It was it was a Sunday night, and when they repeated it straight away, it went out on a Monday. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brilliant. So just remind people. I mean, I know you came to it a little bit later on, and we'll talk about that. But just remind people, what was the original concept of, of Carla Lane's sort of idea with this? Because Carla Lane had been around a long time, she's done lots of other things. But what was the, the main premise of Bread? Well, of course... I wasn't there at the beginning, so of course I I, I can only sort of uh, recall what I picked up when I joined the program. But Carla doesn't—I don't think Carla had a, a sort of premise. It was just an idea that she wanted to do. I think a lot of uh, the characters, a few of the characters, certainly the Jerry character, was based on family members, and I think the idea just just grew from there. I—I I don't think she had a message to to put over with bread i don't think she said if i do the sitcom called bread it'll be about this this and this and i'll try and put this message across i think she just wants wanted to write something that was funny and she looked for funny situations with an edge um uh, she used to hate the title situation comedy she used to prefer situation tragedy more than that I, you know i was three years down the line so it was it was very well uh sort of in its in its it's rut by then, it's smooth rut of, of being the successful show that it turned out to be. But it was, of course, you know, she's from Liverpool, you're from Liverpool. It was very much based yep. on that family sort of getting together in Liverpool. You know, there, there is something about, um, I mean, the same. it's the same in London, you know, they're talking about family and EastEnders and all that kind of stuff. I grew up in Yorkshire, there's definitely community spirits and things. But there is something quite unique about the Liverpool community spirit, isn't there, and families and things. You know, maybe do you, think, are, do you think she really did draw on her own her own upbringing, kind of thing? Oh, I think most certainly, and of course, being a scouser herself, she knew um, the humour that is in the people of Liverpool. She knew from you know from from being one herself, and and I think she drew on that not only in Bread, of course, she did other situation comedy strip tragedies that based in Liverpool. Um, it was a place she loved very much, um, full of people that she loved very much. And we have such a, a unique 
sense of humour up, if, if you like. Uh, always have done, continue to this day, I'm sure. I don't. I haven't lived in Liverpool for a while now, but it's always present when I do go back. And I think she just wanted to write about something she knew very much, uh, you know, in great detail. But of course, your roots were uh, actually in Wales, weren't they, as well? Because you had Welsh, Welsh uh, and ancestry. Is that right? You were a Welsh boy living well, in Liverpool. I, is that right? I remember right? I, well, once removed, my once grandmother removed. had Welsh roots. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. my parents were very much Liverpool Scousers, and so I. So that was. I didn't count myself as Welsh, particularly. Yeah, yeah. So, so when you when you ended up in in bread, did you did you have a Liverpool accent at that point? Did you? I always have the accent, really. I um, I hadn't lived there for quite a while but it doesn't take long to swing back into it it's it's usually mixing with other scousers or if i'm very tired or dare i say it uh, uh, alcohol and the accent tends to creep out my mother now i think my mother now has a thick accent although she doesn't think she has an accent at all but it was sort of bashed out of us um not not for any um lack of pride in the city um I just think it was it was not where my parents were. So we were a middle class family from Wavertree. We never had a strong accent in the family, really, but it, it snuck in, and you know I can call on it at any time. So talk about how you got the role then, because of course bread had been going for a while. It was it was big by the time you were in it, so you knew about it mm. presumably and had watched it and whatever. I don't know. Well, had you watched it? You know, tell us a bit about how you got I... the role. Well, I hadn't watched it, would you believe? And I don't know why that was now. It just wasn't on my radar. I was doing shows Monday to Saturday. So in theory, the Sunday night was available to me as a, as a television programme to watch. But because that was our one only night off from theatre, you tended to go off and go out and do things. And it, even though we could record stuff on the old video machines then, it wasn't in... It wasn't in my sightline particularly. My good mate, who still is my good mate to this day, called me one day and he said, um, I've got an audition for this this TV. Would you read something in the newspaper, anything, and record it on your Sony Walkman and uh, do it in Scouse because I need to get a Scouse accent going, which I duly did. I didn't ask him what it was for. I just did it. And I saw him a couple of weeks later and he said, oh, I didn't get it. No, I didn't get it. And I thought, what was it for? He said, it was a thing called Bread. A character called Joey Boswell in Bread, and I said, "Oh right, yeah, okay, vaguely, yeah, it rings a bell." And um, I, I can't remember how long it took, but a penny dropped at some point, and I got in touch with my agent and said, "Look, I know this is this is a very long shot, but should we give it a go?" And uh, we did, and I think, uh, unbeknownst to me, they'd been looking for quite a while by then. And I think from my first audition, first time I met Carla and Robin Nash, the producer director to the first day of filming was about 10 days it was ridiculously short time they were they were running out of time and uh, you know in theatre one is used to auditioning for something and waiting weeks or months before you hear anything at all so to have this turn round in seven to ten days I think was uh, alarming now but you know we just threw ourselves into it and off we went not only alarming in a way, but also <laughs> it wasn't like it was a new character. Here you were replacing an established character. That must have been quite daunting for you, wasn't it? It was quite a difficult thing to do. Well, it wasn't. I think a, a huge dose of uh, naivety and being terribly green about these things. Plus, in theatre, 
people take over an awful lot in theatre in the long running shows. I was I'd done two and a half years in Les Mis just by then, and I was in a show called Metropolis at the time of auditioning. Um, so taking over was just what we did, and. To be absolutely honest, if you get the unique offer of joining a, a sitcom, you're not going to go, oh, now, hang on, is this really what I... You know, it's, it's a big shoes to fill. You jump in, you jump in, and you think I'll... You know, especially at the age, you know, I was much younger, I was whatever I was, 29, 30. You just jump in, and you think, well, they asked me to, so uh, we'll just go for it. Did you spend much time looking at the, the the previous actor or did you just go for it in terms of the way you wanted to play it? I never saw an episode of Bread until I saw my first one. Uh, I just thought it was better by then. I mean, I could have I could have asked the BBC to, to send me a load of videos, but I didn't... I, I actually... First of all, there wasn't an awful lot of time to do that in because uh, in that seven to ten days between the first meeting... I had shows to do. I was still doing eight shows a week in the theatre. I had to spend one of those days being blonded, having never been blonded before in my life. That was an awful long day. Um, so I just decided we'll just go with it and, and, and just jump in. Just jump in. Give it a go and see what happens, really. And do you remember your first day on set with all the actors? I mean, did you know any of them? Had you come across any of them before? No. None at all. No, um, I do. I used to get the train. I used to do the show, get the train up, get off the train at 6am in Liverpool and go straight to uh, make up in uh, what was the Holiday Inn. And um, I think my first, I think my first scene was with Brian in a park. Um, I'd never met anybody, never seen the crew. I'd met Robin, the director, who was utterly charming. And he was my, the rock I held on to. Um, uh, but they were just all so supportive. And I'm sure they must have been thinking, oh, how's this going to go? Yeah, whoever it is, how is this going to go? Because Peter had created this huge character, this huge personality. From what I gleam, he dropped out sort of at the 11th hour. It wasn't, they didn't have too long to think about it. I'm trying to remember more detail, but it is an awful long time ago. But all I remember is huge support, not only from the crew uh, and the, all the tech team, but the family as well. And, of course, Jean, who really did step into you know, being mother, my work mother, and made sure that, that uh, you know, I was... And Melanie, of course, because we were both new at the time. We both joined at the same time. We were both looked after, very much so. Fabulous. Now, the, the thing I always remember about it is everyone being around the table. Basically, that was the yeah. that's the main thing, wasn't it? That was the big thing, really. Tell us a bit about some of that. You know, how were those scenes easy to do, or were they things that took a while? I mean, how how were they sort of choreographed? Again, by then, everybody else knew the table scenes very well. Obviously, they were different every week, but the 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 idea, the choreography was pretty much the same. Um, and then I slipped into the empty seat. Um, we would rehearse during the week. I think we rehearsed Monday, Tuesday. Thursday, Friday, and shot it on the Sunday. And there was one every week, and we always just looked forward to it because it was always the meatiest of scenes um, when you saw most of the family. And, of course, we then waited for the, the big speech from Jean because she always got the long, rambling rant at the end of it. And how she used to learn those, I will never know. I just remember great fun in the studio. You just had to not be the first one to dry that night. There was a big stigma about being the first to dry in your lines. All in good humour, of course, but as long as it wasn't you, then the evening went well. 
And it was all done in front of a studio audience, wasn't it? All done in front of a studio audience. Uh, and a Liverpool audience. Center. A Liverpool audience at the end of the day. Well, well summertimes, we used to uh, invite um, anybody in the street, in Ellswick Street, that wanted to come down. There was always the coach load that came down as a sort of a thank you for us filming in their street for three or four weeks a year. Uh, and so we used to sort of, you know, give them a night out for those who wanted to come down. But uh, mainly, I think it was, a, you know, a southern audience that just wanted tickets for a show because it was done in TV Centre. It's weird, isn't it? Because I, I watched, I used to grow, I grew up in Doncaster and grew up seeing open all hours being filmed in Bowlby in, in Doncaster. And, and then you forget that actually, yeah, that the, <laughs> the main inside scenes are done in TV Centre in London. It's all... It's all very, That's right, very, all very bizarre. I've always found that really odd because the BBC had centres in Manchester and Leeds, and you think they might have used them a bit. You know what I mean? But um, well, shame, really. I think at the time the politics. I, I think it was probably a very complicated thing, and I think BBC Television Centre in London had the dibs on the big shows and the budgets to do the big shows. I think so. It, it was always is always down there. And when we did the filming, we'd spend two three weeks doing the filming a couple of months beforehand, and we wouldn't see the results of the filming until the day of the studio recording, um, which is always the thrill to see how it all come out because we didn't really have a clue, and it was all edited together by then. Um, just great fun, great fun. What's bizarre about that, of course, is on the other side, on the ITV side, what was happening was that people like Christopher Strawley and James Bolam and whatever who were doing things like Only When I Laugh were rehearsing in London and coming up to Leeds to record it on a Thursday and Friday night in, in Leeds at Kirkstall Road, you know. So it was the opposite way with ITV, you know. Sort of <laughs> God, weird. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, I've never done it any other way, of course, so this was just the norm for me. Yeah. And I was glad, glad of it because uh, at least on the, on the Sunday, which is my theatre day off, um, I, could, I, could, I didn't have to go out of town. I, it, was, it was a long day, obviously. I think we had to be there by nine in the morning. And uh, so I'm glad it was London, not somewhere else, after two shows on the Saturday night. Let's talk a little bit about the stories and things. Carla being Carla, as you said, you know, she's very much into, uh, you know, she used to call it situation tragedy rather than situation comedy. And there was always a lot of pathos in it, wasn't there? There was always a lot of seriousness in there. You know, she tackled this. She never, you know, she never stopped short of, of, of dealing with serious issues and things like that. No. When you look, when you look back at it, what what what, what storylines in that vein, you know, do you remember and did you do you appreciate and, and really enjoyed doing? We'll be back after a quick break. You still loading them and heating them up with all your single shit you've been dropping. You feel me loading them up on? It, it only takes structure, and, and you know, just paying attention to the climate of the game. Yeah, nah, I mean. So do do your homies uh got a role in your in your little? You know I mean, yeah, yeah, we all we all artists over here, man. I'm trying, oh, yeah, I'm trying, yeah. I'm trying, I'm trying to get them on there. Yeah, yeah. Hey, me, me, we all artists, man. We go, you feel me? We gonna have this like. Bro, me and my man, like me and my man Kyle, we be like, I don't know, we play, we play with this <laughs> shit right now. I got lie, we play with this shit right now for for. Oh, I don't, don't play with it. Don't play with it. No. Take that shit. Sir. Oh gosh, now you got the memory banks wearing away. Now, um, we used to. Oh, just think about this. We used to be quite surprised how at what Carla got away with. 
um, because in those days, in the late 80s, uh, her language that she used in, in a half-hour comedy was really pushing the boundaries by then. And she she did have a couple of occasions when things had to be dropped out and she had to replace them, and she was livid because once she had written a script, she didn't want to change a word, even during the rehearsals. We all tried it. We all said, oh, Carla, could, would it be possible if I could just say this? No, 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 sorry. No, I'm sorry, Graham. That's that's the way it's written. And so everything was was printed by the time we got it, and, and very little could change unless somebody pointed out a, um, a story fact that was, you know, the dog had actually died by then, so we couldn't mention him. I said, oh, gosh, yeah, you know. But the writing itself could not be changed Unless you were, you know, the BBC bigwigs, and I think on a couple of occasions it was suggested um, that it was it was changed. But the storylines were also pushing it, and there was an awful lot of criticism and uh, about this family that was scrounging on the dole and not working. And I think sometimes it used to amuse her how people would get fictitious writing mixed up with real life it was written for a bit of fun and nobody was saying this is your average Liverpool family this is what they do up there but of course the tabloids would see it another way because it was good copy to to have a bit of a a, a bit of a banter going between the public that, that liked it and those who didn't but the the Liverpool public which were the only public that Carla was interested in they they adored it they they loved it and were very proud of it and uh, I think they missed it when it finished they missed it being around yeah because at the time of course um, Liverpool was focused on a bit because you got bread and you got Brookside of course there was two slightly yeah. different things Brookside was quite hard hitting but in another way mm-hmm. bread was quite hard hitting and you know um, it's quite it's quite quite interesting in in that sense because you mentioned the different storyline I mean she could she yeah she didn't steer away from being quite controversial with stuff did she you know she was happy to tackle issues of the day basically she didn't have a problem with that absolutely yeah not she had no problem with that at all and I think she would have gone a lot further had she been allowed to and I'm you know we were all a bit surprised she hadn't uh, written a you know a play for today or something that could go into the drama strictly into the drama slot but I don't think she was interested in that she just wanted to write what was in her heart and her head and this was it uh, uh, at the time and obviously the butterflies and, and the others were were the important ones then I can't remember if it was my second or third season and word got round that America wanted to take it and of course you know we all went, oh, my goodness me, that is Kerching, You know, not for us, but for Carla, the, the writer. We wouldn't go. It was just they wanted the the, the storyline, as it were, the family thing. And um, she went over there a couple of times, and they wanted to change Grandad into Grandma, and they wanted to change a couple of the characters, and she just said, no, nah. stop, 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 and just said, no, not, you're not doing it, and walked away. Uh, because she had a belief in it, I think, and it really didn't bother her. I'm sure she probably lost an awful lot of money by not allowing them to do what they wanted to do with it. But she had great pride in it, and um, I think she she felt so she owed it to the people of Liverpool, not just to offload it onto somewhere somewhere else and, and make a packet on it. And although because of that time, she 
was, you know, her animal sanctuaries were all over the place. She could have done with the funds, but um, she, she had too much pride, I think, to, to just allow it to go. I'm not sure it would have worked, really, in America. It, it, was, it was very no. much a Liverpool thing, wasn't it, really, in a way? You know what I mean? Uh, yes, it would have gone. It would have, I don't think it would have gone well without major sort of work on it. And then it wouldn't have been Carla's. Um, work so exactly she said nothing exactly here. let's talk about your character then so yeah how did you get into him and and sort of develop him and did you were you able to I mean obviously Carla was very strict on certain things but were you able to have any influence on him a bit do you think Joey was established obviously by the time I joined so there were certain characteristics that were always going to remain <laughs> his wardrobe for one and the first, I think it was the first six scripts were actually written for Peter uh, because Carlo had already finished them before he had said he didn't want to take up um, the next series. So I very much had Peter's words to say. And Carla used to um, shape a character looking at the characteristics that an actor would bring to the table. And so slowly, slowly, uh, Peter's character disappeared and she started to write for my version of it. And I could see certain things that were happening. And even to the extent that um, there were certain phrases she'd overheard me say across the coffee table, which suddenly went into the script. Uh, and so you sort of had to be careful, if, you know, who was who was listening. If you didn't want things to appear um, in the script, you know, uh, but she just would just pick up on things. So it it did become my sort of Joey, but just because she she was just so observant and and wanted to make it, she wanted to mould it. She thought it worked better if there was much more of the actor in it. She didn't want to just throw a bunch of words at you and just say these are what you are going to say. Uh, without them meaning something to you, so it was. It, I didn't have to do that work. It was. It was done for me, which is which is fabulous, of course. And Ashley's chat with Graham Bickley from Bread will continue in just a few minutes. In the meantime, listen out for news about a special documentary coming soon about an iconic daytime show. It burst onto our screens 50 years ago this year. And for a generation of kids, it became must-viewing when you were sent home from school in the afternoons. It was played like a court, wasn't it? You, you oh, yeah, yeah, for, absolutely. And you didn't know what the outcome was going to be because, you know, so they were ready to film two different endings, whatever the jury decision was. Yeah. which was almost a bit like live television. It was great, it was edgy. We're talking, of course, about the groundbreaking Crown Court. Filmed at Granada Television in Manchester, the show was unique and saw some big names cut their teeth over its long run on ITV. It was an afternoon programme, and although it was an afternoon programme, they had some very fine actors in it because there were good chances to uh, show your mettle if you were an actor because there were long tranches of dialogue between judges and advocates and indeed actors. It also had an iconic theme tune that became the B-side to the A-side of Van der Valk, which went on to top the charts. We'll also be talking to the man behind that theme. Various bits of music were played, and I think I was sitting in on the session helping choose the music, and he said, no, we've just done that 
album with you, with uh, that piece, Distant Hills. That might be right. I, I thought, well, I don't know, it doesn't sound right to me. But anyway, we dug it out and played it to them. And they said, yeah, that's it. Thank you very much. That's all to come when we're back in the Crown Court. Coming soon, only on Distinct Nostalgia. And if you'd like to share your memories of the show, please email us at info at madeinmanchester.tv or message us on our Twitter page at Distinct by MIM. Distinct Nostalgia is produced by MIM. And if you like what we do, then please consider supporting us on Patreon. Every penny helps us to make even more amazing content just for you. Go to distinctnostalgia.com and click on the donate button. Thank you. Now, of course, you were taking over somebody who'd been played it for a long time and you were developing it into your role and this was a big show. What feedback did you get? Did you get... What was the feedback good initially or bad or what? what, what did you get any feedback? I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure, yeah, I got loads of feedback. I'm sure the feedback was heavily edited by the bread office because I, I, all I can say is thank goodness there was no social media because you know what would happen. People would have been on it like a shot. And I, I think the worst of it was probably kept from me. Um, but all I was concerned about was that they were happy and that the figures... Um, remained where they were um, the pre- from the previous season, which they did. They stayed, they, they went up, obviously, because everybody wanted to see the new Joe in Everline. And then they let, went down a bit as various people thought, yeah, now I, I miss Peter too much. And then they came back up again and they levelled off. And that's when, by the end of the first season, I, I do remember rela- relaxing, thinking, OK, well, if we do another season then I'm okay. We're, we've proven that it's worked. There were, obviously, there were going to be many, many, many people that I was never going to win over. Um, I, there was one letter I did receive about one of the first couple of episodes, and it was about Joey and his tax problems, and he was in a bit of a tax issue. And this was a script that was for Peter. It was already written for Peter, nothing to do with me at all. But I got letters saying, you know, oh, that's ridiculous now. now. You know, the other Joe, he never would have had problems with the tax. It's absolutely ridiculous that you do. And he would never wear a dressing room, a dressing gown like that one. Because I came down the stairs in some dressing gown with JB on it or something. Uh, and I thought, wardrobe, that's out of my hands. I don't have any say in what I wear. And I don't have, I, I, even at that point, I had very little uh, um, say in the script because I'd only just joined. But, you know, you just have to, you've got to just smile. And thank God I was thick-skinned enough to let it go. But I'm sure there was, I'm sure there was many, many people that I, I didn't win over because that's the way it goes. Of course. So, I mean, it's quite a risk for the, for, the, for the producers in a way, wasn't it, in terms of getting a new, because you, you weren't just a bit part, you were one of the main parts, really. And, yeah. You know, I suppose it's, it's a credit to the fact that, A, to the, to the, you know, to the team and everybody together, but the fact that they'd got such a great, already got just a, such a great ensemble cast anyway. And they were all stars. They were all big, big characters. And, and I, it wasn't in any shape or form, you know, just reliant on uh, Joey and Aveline. They were a big part of it, of course. But fortunately, there was it was a big ensemble company, as you alluded to. And, and I think that was why the BBC thought, well, we, we've got to give it a go. We've got to, we've got to see whether we can save this. Um, obviously, I'm sure they thought about dropping it. But I, I think... I think they knew that it still had a big head of steam and it had somewhere to go. And Carla, I would imagine, 
thought, I have somewhere to go with this. I, I, I need to take it somewhere else. It's not the time. So we were we were very fortunate that that it, it landed in our laps. Really, and it was, but it was crazy. I mean, it was six o'clock news item. It was absolutely front page of tabloids. You know, as we were revealed, and I'd spent days before in the theatre getting phone calls from journalists saying, "Are you the new Joey?" And I I was sworn to secrecy. I said, oh, "Guys, you're the fourth guy that's phoned me up today." I am from Liverpool, and I, oh, I wish it was me, but no, I'm here in the theatre. How can I be doing a TV? Oh, he said, all right, oh, sorry to have bothered you. And, you know, I just had to bat them away. And, uh, and of course, they all then faced me when we did do the big public uh, thing at the BBC. They were all there going, I spoke to you the other day, and you did And I said, well, I'm sorry, that was, that's, that's what I was told to do, you know. I was going to say, you know, here you were you, um, you know, starring in a show that was huge, massive, you know, from the, from, I mean, you started in 35 episodes and there was 70 odd. So you started in a lot of them. Um, your life must have been, must have changed straight away overnight, didn't it? I don't think, it, I don't remember it changing. I mean, there were, there were obviously differences, obviously. But I, I, I remember the guys, the journalists were saying at the press conference, sort of just what you said, oh, it's all going to change now. And, all. and I said, you know what? I said, I don't think it is. I said, if I need to go on the tube, I'm going to go on the tube. If I need to do this, I'm going to do that. It's an attitude. I mean, I did, I very quickly learned that you don't go into pubs uh, near the end of closing. That was probably not a good thing to do. Um, even if you just want a quiet drink, you don't do it because there's going to be somebody who wants to make something of it. And so you just avoided it. But I don't think, my, you know, I'm a northerner. I was 30 at the time. I had just done two and a half years as a principal lead in, in Les Mis, which was the biggest show of its type uh, at the time. So I'd, I had a taste of it. Obviously, it was on a different scale. Uh, I worked it out that in the two and a half years I'd been in Les Mis, we'd, the show had been watched by, you know, in big round figures, about a million people. And in the first half hour of Bread, it was 21 million. I think the first episode was 21 million in one half hour. So... It was a very different beast, but my my memory of it is mostly there were one or two little sticky bits, but mostly great fun, and it opens a lot of doors, and it was just great fun. I think it was. I, I just think I was old enough to deal with it. I can't imagine if I'd have been younger and a little wilder but I wasn't a club goer that's not what I did I was a single lad but I was in a stable relationship um you know there was there was I remember saying the, the press thing I said okay guys I'm going to be really honest with you now I'm going to tell you how it is I have got a speeding ticket so there you go now you know you've got my whole you know and they all started saying oh we're going to get you we're going to we're going to catch you out you know and uh and they did eventually courtesy of a ex-girlfriend you know the old Sunday favourites the Sunday papers but it wasn't me it wasn't me that did it <laughs> obviously as we said before there was a great ensemble cast who did you you know I mean I know it's a long time ago but you know you must there must be some great memories of working with some of those people who in particular do you think when you look back do you have particular fond memories of, of working with now when you think back oh golly well of course you know Gene was a big personality, which you couldn't avoid, and it was a lovely personality and a very generous personality, and she really did look after us because, of course, 
as well as doing the show, we then took it on the road and we did a, a tour of it. So combining my first love of theatre with the TV was fantastic. And so, of course, we then began to see uh, a lot more of each other because we were on the road. Um, Giles Watling, who played the vicar, he was the first of the team I ever saw. I remember walking into uh, the hotel for makeup on the first morning and he came over and he, he said, oh, welcome, welcome. Now, do you play poker? And I said, Giles, I don't play poker, mate. I'm so sorry. He said, oh, it's all right. Anyway, come in. And that was his opening gambit. And I still see Giles. I'm very, very fond of Giles. And we see each other as much as we can. He's, of course, now a member of parliament for Clacton. Um, very different uh, theatre, that is. Um, Vic McGuire, uh, very fond memories always to see a lot out of hours. Out of hours. Um, and Nick. Uh, I, I mean, we, a lot of them. Mel, we saw, you know, we used to go to shows together, um, two or three of us, four of us, or whatever. It was a very happy time, very happy time. And But to this day, um, I haven't seen, I've spoken to Vic, I haven't seen him for a while, but Giles, I'm in touch with Giles. And in fact, uh, the last time I saw him, which was just before the pandemic, he took my wife and I round the Houses of Parliament for a lovely day. So that was very exciting and very different to, uh, to a, a television studio. Maybe not that different, actually. I don't know. Maybe not that different. A few characters, anyway. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what do you, when you look back at it, I mean, it's been repeated recently, actually. I've been watching a few of the episodes. What do you think was the, the general secret of its success? I mean, it lasted seven series, which is a lot, um, and nearly mm. 80 episodes from, mm. from sort of the mid-80s into the early 90s. What was it about mm. it? Was it, you know, do you think it, do you think it was of its time? Do you think that's what it was? It was, it was, it was portraying the sort of that period in a way, and it sort of fitted into that sort of zeitgeist of that period. Or what was it about it? Do you think? Well, it was tough at the time, and I think things were very tough in Liverpool at the time, which probably accentuated why we got some of the criticism. Um, we seem to be not Liverpool, but people outside Liverpool thought we were laughing at the people of Liverpool and saying, oh, look, you know, we can make a joke out of this, which is so not true. Um, and we defended that quite rightly every single time it was levelled at us. I think part of its success was the, the clever Nat Carla had of um, extending stories over episodes. It wasn't a, a story per half hour. And so you're naturally going to grab people, and they're going to want to know. And and this ongoing, which was rare for which was uh, what rare for sitcom, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's I mean that was Carla started all that, and she. I think that's why she didn't want to call a situation comedy because I think you know it wasn't like a dad's army. It wasn't like any other half hour sitcom that started and finished within twenty nine minutes. Um, so I think we it, it was never a soap, but. Um, it had qualities whereby you wanted to see what happened when Joey went to meet the girlfriend that he never seemed to be able to get it together with. Uh, and you knew that was going to happen next week as he raced off in his black jag to go and meet her. Um, and I think they, were, they became very, very fond of the relationships that were in, uh, in the family. Well, sadly, the family's getting smaller by the... Our, our Boswell clan are getting smaller by the year, but... Uh, we lost another two last year, but uh, uh, I think I think it was just 
I just think people wanted to know more about these characters, and and Carla had a lot to say about. And it was it was very much we talked about you know the, the link with the, the fact that you couldn't really put it into America. It was very much about Liverpool, wasn't it? And you know because you got that yeah. it was based in a particular area, and you'd also got you know she didn't shy away from the religious side, did she? she you know this is a Catholic family. No. That came out on yep. several occasions, didn't it? You know, it's not often you get that in a sitcom either, is it really? Well, but of course, it was beautifully balanced by Giles's vicar, of course. So, you know, you did have the two represented, if you like. And I don't know whether she did that on purpose. So it sort of staved off some of the, uh, the arguments, as it were. But I was found it quite surprising that even though uh, the series is shown on various cable channels now, it never made it back to BBC channels, the main BBC channels. And I I wonder what, I don't know whether it's just because it's too expensive because it was a, quite a big ensemble, but it's interesting that it was so huge then, but unlike the Dad's Armies, unlike many sitcoms that have come back uh, onto BBC One in the afternoon or something, it, Brett's never done that, which is I find quite, quite surprising. So what was the relationship like between... The people of Liverpool and Bread. Then you mentioned the fact that you you'd go filming there for a few weeks of the year or whatever. You know what? What yep. was you know? Tell us a bit about that. Was it was it a good close relationship? Did they love? Did they love the series? Do you think? They, well, whenever you met them, they certainly the people you met did, um, uh, and the people in the street used to love it and used to play extras as well. So they had their bit of five, fifty minutes of fame, fifty minutes of uh, of being on the telly. Of course, you know we wouldn't meet the people who could who didn't like it because it's that's not the way it goes. You won't, the ones that come forward to say hello are only the ones that want to. Um, but the local press, the Liverpool Echo, always used to defend Brett. They never, they never sort of jumped on the bandwagon of the the national tabloids who wanted to have a go at it. Um, they sort of saw Brett as it's it's ours. Get off. Get your hands off it. You know. Stop knocking it. We're happy with it. We love it. And I had a, a, I've got a couple of mates of mine who only about a month ago went on a cruise around the UK, which visited Liverpool, and they were taken on a coach tour, and they went to a couple of the parks, and then they were taken on a bread tour and taken down the street. And, of course, he telephoned me straight away. And I said, I never thought that bread would ever feature on a, you know, a... a big international cruise line program <laughs> it's all getting very strange but obviously there was a fan there somewhere and they wanted to sort of flag it up and apparently people said oh oh yes i remember brett oh yeah you know it was a big hit so well as it's still as there. We're finding with distinct nostalgia people do love their nostalgia you know they absolutely adore yep. it you know they like that connection back to those those times now obviously we're talking it finished quite a long time ago now just imagining, you know, if we were to bump into those characters now, where would some of them be, do you think? Would that family still oh, exist God. there, or would what, what would have happened to them, do you think? Well, I sincerely hope that the boys will have always would have left home and got themselves a life away from uh, their mother. Um, it was high time. I hope um, Joey walked out of the house on the last episode, so I hope he stayed out and didn't come back. Where Freddie Boswell and Lilo Lil ended up, who would know? Who would know? Um, maybe they're in a shed together somewhere up there because they're sadly no longer with us now. Uh, the, the actors are no longer with us. Um, well, gosh, I, I don't know. I, I bet you there's still chaos um, with some of them. I bet you Billy's still causing a lot of trouble. 
um, still trying to find the woman of his dreams. And Adrian, who knows? Who knows where the poet got to? <laughs> and of course, sadly, we, we've lost Carla now. So we'll never find out. We'll yep. never know. But it's probably, no. it's probably. I bet, I bet, if she was still around and somebody had asked her to revisit those characters, she probably would have done. You know. Well, she she was asked many a time, um, either to just write it in a column, or I think she was approached at one point to write a. I might have been a one-off or something, and I don't. I think she's she just went. Do you know what? It's they're done. It's, it's done. done. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was it was sort of she wrote. A sitcom called Brighton Bells. After yeah. that, that Jean yeah. was in, that didn't go beyond a series. And so, for some reason, Carla seemed to go out of favour, didn't she? At a certain point. Well, it was at the end of Bread. Um, so that was been ninety one, I think. There was the big, huge change at the BBC, and they started to bring in private companies. I remember it came as a great shock because for the most of the time I was doing Bread, we used to rehearse in North Acton at the rehearsal studios there, and there was normally just us and the Generation Game in the building. That was basically it, of the regulars. And uh, and then we came back to do the last series, and we all rocked up on the first day of rehearsals, and the car park was jam full, absolute jam full. What the heck's going on here? And it was the first time they had rented out their space to an independent production um, and it changed from then on, really. It, I don't. I think all the Carla's allies moved on. Um, I think the desires were were different, wanting different things. And then, as soon as the BBC said we're going to buy in private work, of course, it narrowed Carla's window, if you like. Um, you know, because they had so many more choices. One of the our cast also said, "I won't be doing any more." And I think Carla also went, "Well, do you know what then?" Let's draw the line now. Uh, we're not going through well, another Well, my, my partner interviewed Carla a few years before she, just a couple of years before she died, went to her house and yeah. it was full of animals and all the rest of it. And, um, yeah, yeah. And, and he says, didn't he, that Carla, she was still keen on writing. She she wanted to do more. You know, she was really keen on doing yeah. more. It's really, it's really, really quite sad in, in a way. When it came to an end, yeah. were, you, were you shocked or surprised or did everyone feel this was, it was naturally time to, to finish bread? Well, at the end of every uh, series, we normally finish with a, um, a Christmas special, and that would be the last thing we did for that year. And you would never know whether there was going to be any other. They wouldn't tell you whether. So you'd have to sort of sit in your hands till the following spring, and then you get the phone call. Yes, we're doing another ten episodes, and off you go again. So when we got to the end of what became the final series, we got we hadn't been told officially. But by looking at the writing, she was tying up quite a lot of um, storylines. And there was the very final shot of the helicopter shot of the, of the pulling away. And I, we all thought, oh, well, that's, that's, that's it. And uh, I can't remember when we were officially told, but a word got round after we'd finished that that would be it. Um, so, you know, all good things. Uh, um, we all we all moved on and did our own stuff, sort of thing. But it, I wish it could have gone on much longer. Of course, I loved every minute of it. But uh, uh, I'm used to jobs of course, finishing. Of course, you yeah. know, that's what I've yeah, done. Absolutely. Yeah. But what impact then did it? This final question, really. What impact did it really have on your life and career? Did it did it change your life in any way? Do you think? Or uh, I don't think so. Um, I. I look back now and I think I could have exploited it more. Uh, I didn't. 
Um, that was probably because I had a, a very good agent at the time who was very poorly. And I don't think he was, uh, uh, you know, right on it, which is just one of those things. I don't blame him at all. But, you know, if you look at somebody now that's in a sitcom or, or a comedy or something, and then you learn later, actually, they can also sing. You know, there's there's some sort of crossover. There's, you know, let's get him to do this number or whatever. And I never did that. I just went back to musical theatre, which is where I, where I come from. And uh, it would have been lovely to do some more TV, but you, you've got to take the jobs in front of you. And, and I mean, you know, I, did, I got a couple of... I did a few years of panto off the back of bread so because they like to... Graham Bickley from bread, you know. So, but of course, every year that I wasn't on telly, your, you know, your name's shrinking, sort of thing. So that came to an end, and it's just you get used to what the rules are. That's just the way it is, and somebody replaces of you. Now, now bread, bread you. was around at a time when there was a lot of sitcom. You know, Britain was, you know, both ITV and BBC was doing sitcoms all the time. We don't have as yeah. many sitcoms now. There's a bit of a dearth, isn't there? Certainly not, more, not a massive amount of of observational comedy anymore and not not in not no. in the Carla Lane sort of sense is there you know what I mean it's quite, quite sad that really isn't it yeah I mean Lee Mack writes one doesn't he he does one and I I remember reading a, a report about it saying oh it was just lovely it's an old-fashioned sitcom I can't remember whether it was about that one particularly but there must be another one that's there must be one or two uh, but they're they're rare beasts now and and I don't know whether it's because the TV companies reckon it's not what people want or they don't want to take a gamble on them because the BBC would ga- well, gambled on bread. The first series of bread did nothing, but they've, they're prepared to put in the, well, let's give it another, let's give it another series and see they what happens. They seem to be obsessed. You know? The TV companies now seem to be obsessed with, uh, with quiz shows again. Quiz shows are everywhere. Yeah. And true crime. It's sort of obsession with true crime all the time. It's like, you know... And reality shows, they, they they want to, you know, they want to let's let's just do a show of them and put the celebs in and you know have the celebrity special and. What what do you think it's what do you think you actually ultimately that period which is obviously a big period of your your life what do you ultimately do you think yeah. you got out of bread? A mortgage. <laughs> I got a great amount of experience. I also learned that however much I love doing TV and in, by comparison to. Um, working in a show, it's a doddle, or, or doing what I did was a doddle in terms of just energy. But it also reminded me that I, I loved what I did in theatre. Uh, just to be away from it for three years, I was very happy to go back into the West End and do and go back there. So maybe that's what it taught me most of all. It, that's really where my heart lay. Graham, that's fantastic. Thank you very much indeed for talking to us about bread. Absolutely my pleasure. Graham Bickley, who played Joey in Bread. And don't forget, you can hear hundreds of hours of interviews and reunions with the stars of classic TV and film by scrolling through the Distinct Nostalgia feed wherever you get your podcasts. Distinct Nostalgia. More than a podcast.